As we are in the midst of Advent and we look forward to Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus, I want to let you know about our holiday schedule coming up. On Christmas Eve, we'll have two services here at the church, and then on Christmas Day and then New Year's Day, we will not be having services. And so we want to encourage you on Christmas Day to just spend time with your family and remembering what Christmas is all about. And then on New Year's Day, spend time thinking forward to the new year. Spend some time with the Lord in prayer and listening. And we just want to get ready for all that God has for us as individuals and as a church in 2017. We are right in the middle of our That We Made campaign, and you guys have already been so generous. We can't wait to see what God does through this. As with all of our offerings, you can give in the back of the room in the white box or through our website. We know that God is going to do great things in our church and in our community as we all give together. Community is a huge part of who we are here at Antioch Dallas, and we believe that life groups aren't just a place where we receive and grow in our faith, but it's also a place where we all come together to give and help others grow and also fulfill our purpose in life. If you'd like to be a part of that kind of community, you can fill out the contact card in the seat in front of you, or you can email us at lifegroups@antiochdallas.org. Our life groups will be taking a break for the month of December, but we're starting back January 15th. If you'd like to get connected in community here, let us know. There's no better way to start your new year. Those are your announcements. I'm so thankful for you, Antioch Dallas, and get ready to hear a great message from our pastor, Zach Daniel. Go Joe! I guess Zach's not here, so I happened to prepare a little something just in case. Um, no, but my name is Joe Polino. I'm not Pastor Zach. He's on vacation with his family. Um, this in, in Georgia, I believe, but I'm really excited to be here and to get to share this word um, with you guys and was praying for you all this week and so excited about what I feel like God has for us. And as I was thinking about um, just this series that we've been in called Strong Grace, we're going through the book of First Peter, um, which is a, a book that's written to um, the, the early church going through lots of different trials and, and things like that. And so I was thinking about a trial in my life that really depicts this passage that we're going we're gonna to look into. And it was when I was in college, um, and I was a sophomore in college, and I had to decide on a major. And I had to decide the next day, and I did not know what I was going to do. I'd gone in thinking that I was going to be pre-med. Okay, so I, think, so I, I was... for. Basically, a year and a half, I was a biology major, and there was a couple of red flags that came up in the midst of that. One is that I realized I did not like science that much, and I was about to spend the rest of my life dedicated to that subject, okay? So that was one red flag. The second red flag is that I have a history of a little queasiness when it comes to blood. Now, my family can attest to this. Well, my, my wife and I, Amy, are actually expecting our first baby in February, so we're super excited but kind of like a side joke is that there's like a running bet on who will be wheeled out in a wheelchair, me or her or both of us. And so I think I can do it, um, but history might say otherwise uh, in this area. So here I am trying to decide on a major. I have no idea. And so I'm like a 19-year-old kid. This is a huge decision. Uh, I want to be a man and, you know, step up to the plate and make the call. Um, so I call my mom because I need help. <laughs> I, really, I was like, I, I'm in tears because I feel the weight of this decision, and I'm just kind of 
on the verge of like a panic attack, essentially. So I'm on the phone with my mom. She realizes that this is probably bigger than, like I'll pull in dad as well. So I'm on the phone, speaker phone with my parents and they're just trying to basically console me and kind of give me some instruction on, hey son, it's okay, this is, this is, this is who you are, all right? This is not gonna define who you are, so let's, let's get some perspective, okay? Like you will do fine. Like, it's going to be okay. And they started giving me uh, some reminders of like, who I am, so identity, and how they make. Because they know me. They know, they know what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, but they also know um, that their, their value in me isn't going to change based on whatever I choose because they're my, they're my folks. And they also give me, so they give me identity. They also give me some purpose. Um, so they're trying to give me some big picture purpose of like, okay, let's, let's back up and get the scope of this. And then they give me some, some loving instruction, right? So I don't know about you, but uh, for me, I, I t- from time to time need that in my life. Some, a little parental pep talk, you know, not the one that is given whenever you're not asked. That's like, no, I don't really, those aren't enjoyable usually. But the one's like, yes, I need a pep talk. I need to go to someone who knows me. I just need a, a mom or dad, a spiritual mother or father, just give me some insight. And so here's, to, here's just what Peter is doing um, to the early church, like a pastor or like a father speaking to them in their trial, in their state, saying, this is who you are. This is your purpose. And here's some loving instruction. Okay? So the text we're going to be in uh, is 1 Peter Chapter 2, 9 and 12. And so you can turn there if you want. And we're going to highlight, we're going to see three things that I just uh, described. You're going to see that God, through Peter, through this writing, is declaring their identity over them. Uh, two, that God is clarifying purpose for them. And three, that he's giving loving instruction to his church. Okay. And just uh, also just recognizing, like, for us in this room, um, there's all different types of needs and places we're coming in this morning, uh, but I don't know about you, but I, I could always use a little refresher and, and guidance, all right? So maybe God has some guidance for you this morning, or maybe God, maybe there is a decision. I don't know what, where God has for you, but where, where you are this morning, but I do know that God has something for you in this message. So what is that? Just That's a challenge that I have to, to each person here. What's one thing that you can take away uh, from this message that, that God is highlighting to you? So that's one challenge before we begin. Um, all right, so we're going to talk about how God gives strong, how strong grace gives guidance. And if you'll turn with me to chapter 2 of 1 Peter, beginning in verse 9, I'm going to go ahead and and read that, and just a little context before this. So Peter, up to this point, has been building the case, like here is why we believe in Jesus, because we set our hope fully on him who, who paid our price on the cross and was raised from the dead, and that we have this joy in him. So he's trying to tell them, this is who you are, and I want you to live like who you are, and this is who you're not. And so here he is again. It kind of culminates in, this, in these four word pictures he gives. Uh, it's like the, the top of the mountain. And then he begins to go down the mountain to say, here's some practical instruction on how to live. So beginning in verse 9, uh, we get this mountain view of who we are. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, 
which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And if you guys would, wouldn't mind, I just would love to just pray real quick. Um, again, just for God to speak to us through his words. So Father, thank you that you've given us your scriptures. Thank you that you've given us your instruction. We want to hear what you have to say. Uh, open our ears to hear it. Open our eyes to see it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so like I said, there's four word pictures or four declarations over this is who you are. Um, and so it's, I almost view it like a diamond, like you're putting up a diamond has multiple sides. Okay, this isn't exhaustive. This isn't all of who uh, the church is, but this is part of it. Okay, and I want us to have ears listen to it in two ways. So you can either, you can listen to it individually. So this is who you are individually, but this is also who we are. So this is who you are, but this is also who we are. So this is you and this is us. This is us. Uh, if you watch that TV show, uh, this is us, uh, the church version, okay? <laughs> All right. So you are um, a chosen race is the first one. You are a chosen race. I'm going to take the, I'm going to explain the race part first and then go back to the chosen. So what does it mean that we are a chosen race? Well, the race that he's describing is not a race that we think of, which is like skin color or where you're born or um, where, like, geography, where you come from, or different things like that, or a group like that, this, this race isn't defined by um, skin color or where we come from. This race is defined by something different. Um, this race is defined by us uh, of all different types of races and all different types of people being chosen by him and to make a new people, a new uh, race, a, a unity around Christ that's not, uh, so we want to so, like, for example, um, we want to be proud of, like, where we come from, but that becomes secondary to the call of God that we are a part of his church, okay? So this is actually, like, almost like our new identity. If you had, like, a passport, where are you from? Like, this is uh, who we are as the church. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? Okay. So, um, so this is a big deal. Why is this a big deal? Because in this, we have the beginnings of the end of racism. Um, so let me kind of explain a little bit. I was thinking about this. So Zach last week talked about how different groups um, are exclusive just because they have things that make them a group. Like they have distinctives that make them a group. And as I was thinking about like racism, um, the, the idea is that my group and my distinctives are better than this other group um, and vi or vice versa. Uh, and so as I was trying to think of an illustration, uh, a, a safer one would be regions of the U.S. instead of like diving into a different example. So I grew up in Dallas. My mom is from Ohio, the Midwest. My dad is from New Jersey, okay? Very different places, different distinctives about those regions. You go to Jersey, okay? They're going to talk fast. They're going to, <laughs> they're going to move fast. And they're going to think if you don't talk fast and move fast like you do, that you're slow in more ways than one, okay? And they're proud of it, all right? And so you come back down to the south, like we're, you know, obviously we're from, we've got that southern hospitality. We're going to be kind and generous and warm, even when we don't feel like it. We'll still, we'll still be kind and generous and warm to you. Come on in, you know? So, and that, that's a distinctive of our, 
our, our culture, our region. And then you go to the Midwest, and I, um, I don't know if it's just the people that I know up there, but the people that I know in the Midwest are, are very um, disciplined and proud of what they do in their work. I, uh, where we came from, um, the farmland around where my grandmother lives, and like the way that they take care of their their property, their land, their animals, their houses, it's all like, wow, like this is a, this takes a lot of pride in that. But at the same time, they're not, they're not going to share their emotions readily um, with many people at the same time. Like it's, it's talking about the weather, talking about some other things. If you want to get down like another level, like you got you to gotta do some work. Does that make sense? And so you might think, oh, well, the South is better, Northeast is better, Midwest is better. But here it's the end to these distinctives. Why? Because they're not, in this passage, he's not pointing to how good, like, our, like, we are, but he's pointing to how good God is. We proclaim the excellencies of him. So instead of these different regions saying, we think we're better because of X, Y, Z, it's actually saying, we don't think we're better. We actually aren't. He's the one that's better, and he's the one that opens the door to, to all races and all types and all types of groups, and that the foundation for our faith is on the cornerstone of Jesus, which is grace, because we can't boast in ourselves because it's only in him, and that's the gospel. And so that's how the gospel is like the beginning of the end of, the, of, of things like racism or things like this kind of division, because we're, we come in a place of humility, and our actual purpose isn't to, to boast in how great we are or, or whatnot, but in him who's, who showed us grace. Does that make sense? Okay. And I'll just highlight that by going back to the text um, in verse 9 where it says that we proclaim the excellencies of him, if it's up on the screen, that, um, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. So we're not proclaiming the excellencies uh, of us, okay? All right, so the next, the, on the chosen part, so why are we chosen then? Why were we chosen? We're a chosen race. Why are we chosen? Um, was it because of something that, uh, I earned, you know, was I, you know, we're at Christmas time, uh, talking about, you know, with our like kids, naughty and nice list. Was I higher on the nice list than other people? Was I, was I better than someone else? Um, well, check this out. All of these word pictures are tied into an Old Testament passage. So this Old Testament passage gives us a clue as to why God chose us, okay? In Deuteronomy 7, Verses 6 through 8, they're talking about the nation of Israel and using the same language of chosen people. In verse 6, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Okay, so he's chosen Israel to be his treasured possession out of all the people. Why? Was it because they were more righteous, because they were stronger, because there was something in them that was attractive. Verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." So essentially he's saying, you weren't the strongest, you weren't of value, but, and so that's not why I chose you. You're actually the smallest. But I chose you just because I love you. I chose you because I, I chose to put my love upon you and to be faithful to what I said that I would do. And so it's almost like this sense of like, I love you, like God loves us. 
He chose us because he loves us, because it's based on his grace and his effort. He's the one who comes first to us. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking how this would work with my wife. If she was to say, like, honey, why do you love me? And I would just say, I just love you. I just love you. And she, I, I don't think it would work too well. Because <laughs> she'd be like, well, well, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, like why, why? Why do you love me? Um, this is just hypothetical. Uh, this never happens. You know, well, let's just, you know, let's count the ways, you know, that you love me. There's something that she wants to know why that I love her, okay? And I think that's right and appropriate. Um, and it's also, I didn't, I didn't decide to start dating and pursuing Amy just because I decided, like, oh, you know, I've just decided that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you. I don't think that she would really be wooed by that or drawn in. There was, there was things specifically about her that drew me to her, her joy, her personality, her love for people, her love for God, that drew me to her, that attracted me to her, that, that basically were the reason why I chose her. So how, what's an illustration? It might break down a little bit when it comes to a romantic love, but I hope in the years to come that our love will mature, my love will mature for her in a, in a way that even if some of those things were to go away, that I would still have an unconditional love set on her um, just based on, on that. But it didn't start out that way, but it, we can see it a little bit more clearly with our kids or with a parent-child relationship. Um, in preparing for this message, I was listening to a guy named J.D. Greer who kind of put this uh, into perspective. He's a pastor, and he does this exercise with his daughters. Before they go to bed, um, he says, girls, uh, does daddy love you because you're beautiful? And his girls are like, no. And he said, you're right. I don't love you because you're beautiful, but you are beautiful. And he says, girls, do I love, do I love you because you're smart? And they're like, no, but we are smart. And he said, you're right. You are smart, but dad doesn't love you because of that. Why does daddy love you? And they would say, because we're your children. And he was like, that is exactly right, because you are mine. And so that's like a picture of, of the way that God loves us, okay, which is so, um, I think, hard for me to grasp and hard for, I think, others to grasp because we're so hardwired for a works-based approval. But this is the gospel. Like, he loves us because he loves us, because he chose us, and because he made us his own, okay? So that's the first one on chosen race. Identity. So again, picturing on the phone with my parents, they're going through identity of who I am. And so they're, they're trying to walk me off the ledge that I was on. And the same way I feel like, th- like he's just going through and saying, this is who you are. So the next one that he brings up is one I like a lot is the royal priesthood. You are a kingly priesthood. Now, what is a priest? Because that's kind of like a archaic, like Old Testament term that we might not be so familiar with. A priest is a mediator he represents the people to God. He's like a representative of the people to God, and then he represents God to the people, okay? So it's kind of like a two-way street. So the priest is the, the mediator between that. And so in the Old Testament, they had a, a limited number of priests. So you couldn't be like, okay, I'm tired of doing this career um, as whatever you would do back then, blacksmith, carpenter, whatever, and then just like, I want to be a priest. I want to apply to be a priest. You couldn't do that. There was only one tribe in the 12 tribes of Israel 
that were priests, and that was a tribe of Levi, okay? And so you had to be born in to be a priest. So it was a limited number of priests. Now, of that tribe, there was only one high priest. And so one time a year, it was called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. This high priest would take uh, a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people, um, and he would go into the Holy of Holies. And he would do it, if you have this picture up here, wearing this thing called an ephod. Okay, if you see the breastplate, it's got 12 different stones representing the 12 different tribes of Israel. So what that represents is I am, I am a representative for my people uh, of Israel before you, God. And I'm also, I'm, I'm carrying the burdens physically. I'm carrying the sins physically of the 12 tribes. Does that make sense? So he, as he goes in, he, he takes the sacrifice he goes in to the outer court of the temple, to the inner court. Then he goes into the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkles the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat, okay, saying this is atoning for the sins. And there's like a rope attached to his leg because he needs to get out of there soon because he himself is unclean. Like he, he's giving sacrifices for his, his own sins. Like he's not without, he's not perfect. He's not holy because God is other than, he is uh, creator of the universe, and, and you cannot be in his, in his presence for long, and so he would need to run out, okay? And so this is amazing when we think about, like, what we have when we are called the royal priesthood, because what Jesus did is that it says in Hebrews, he's not just our high priest, he's our great high priest. Jesus is our great high priest. Why is Jesus our great high priest? Well, because Jesus uh, did not um, he didn't take blood from a spotless lamb. He was the spotless lamb. So his own blood is what came in. So he was better than that. And he didn't carry our names on an ephah, but he carried our names, it says, on his palms and on his heart. So he carries us with him into the Holy of Holies. And he didn't just do it uh, in a temple uh, that was constructed on earth, but it was like actually in the heaven saying, like, I'm atoning for the sins of my people. I'm atoning for them. And he doesn't just do it once. He doesn't have to do it once a year. He doesn't have to do it again. It is finished. So he's done. So he is said, he is atoned for your sins, past, present, and future. You can be forgiven today if you're not in Christ. If you are in Christ, we are forgiven, church. Amen. That's a good word. We are forgiven. Okay, and so he's a great high priest because he doesn't need to leave the presence of God. In fact, he stays there as our advocate. He remains there. So this is, and so, and not not only that, he is our great high priest, but then he says, you're going to be a nation of priests. You, all of us in here who, who believe in Jesus are priests and priestesses, we're royal priests. And so what that means is, when there was a limited access to God, and in fact, only one person could access the Holy of Holies only for a moment, now there is access for us to, to know God and to enter into his throne room and get that strong grace that we need at any time. Unlimited, unlimited amount of time. And not only do we do it for, for ourselves, but for others. Okay, so we do it for others. Remember, a priest represents God to people and people to God. So you can actually bring people to God um, and go to that throne room. And this in Hebrews 4, if we put up that scripture, I love this passage about us going to the throne room of God because of Jesus, our high priest. For, um, excuse me, beginning in verse 14. 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me that there are times that I have need a lot. Sometimes a lot during the day, uh, by the hour, okay? Jesus, I need you every hour is a song that applies to me, okay? And I'm encouraged when someone else asks as a priest on my behalf. So an example this week, um, I had two of my buddies uh, as I was praying and prepping um, and just feeling like, okay, God, I want... um, I want your help in this. I need your grace. I need your grace. Had Mark Ziegler text me. He's like, hey, bud, how's prep going? I'm praying for you. And, uh, and just was like, what can I do? What can I bring before God? How can I be a priest to you? And it was so encouraging to know, like, I'm, here I am trying to access that grace myself. And then I have a buddy uh, text me. And then I had Steve Hill out of nowhere uh, text me this verse that said, hey, I was praying for you. And here's a passage that you have. And I was like, thank you, God. You see me. Thank you, God, but also thank you, men, that I have in my life that will be priests like to to bring me before God and to pray for me before God. And that is a that is a that is an honor, guys. That's a distinctive of the church that we would have people that we're bringing before God. And as we go into a holiday season with family, who is it that that God has for you to bring before Him, for you to 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 ask for grace for them? Um, who is it in your workplace that you might? feel like God's highlighting for you to just, okay, you know, I want to bring, I want to bring this person before you continue. I just want to, I want to pray for them. I want to know how I can pray for them and just befriend them. That would change, that would change someone's life. I mean, if you see in the gospels, how many times that Jesus is stopped from where he was going in order to address a need because someone else came up to him. Someone else said, Come pray for my daughter. She's sick. Come, come heal my friend. Come and see this person. In fact, I would think the majority of Jesus' miracles recorded are actually from a request from someone else to come, which is something I think we could, we could dwell on and think about. Um, so that's the royal priesthood. We are ro- I could say more on this, but I'm going to keep going, okay? Are you guys still with me? Yeah. These next two are going to be a little shorter, um, but I think they're really important for who we are. We're a holy nation. Now, holiness can be, uh, it's, it's a term that's packed with meaning, holiness. When I think of holiness, what I think of often is that God is separate. He's other than. He's not like me. He's not like anyone else. He is worth, he, he, he's awesome. He's the creator of the universe. He's bigger than the planets. We're never going to find the end of the universe. He, he, he's bigger than that. And at the same time, he's so intimately acquainted with who we are. He, it, mind-blowing. He's so much higher than, than we are. He, he's holy, but he's not just holy because he's separate, because he's different from us. He's, he's W-H-O-L-L-Y, like complete, holy love. He's holy just. He's holy merciful. So there's two types of like facets to holiness, and there's more I could say. But for this, I think it's important for us to get these two meanings, that he's you know, he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He doesn't, um, he doesn't lack for anything. He's holy love, holy just, holy merciful. And so when we uh, celebrate Jesus coming, 
What we're celebrating is God who is holy and separate and amazing, taking on flesh and living among us and being the W-H-O-L-L-Y, being the complete holy representation of love to us, being the holy representation of justice to us and mercy and kindness and power and truth and grace. So that it's amazing that God does that, that's, that Jesus would come, and that's what we do when we celebrate Christmas. But what's even more amazing is we think about this is because of what Jesus did, and he made a way, he made a way for us to also be holy, okay? So what does this mean for us? I, I'm trying to think of an illustration for this, and the best one I can think about is the one that Jesus gave. So that's pretty good. Um, figure out I'm safe there, which is he called us the church salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, okay? So let's start with salt. So salt, we're about to have some Christmas meals, uh, about to get some really good food, but no one's going to have like a bowl of salt over here just like chowing down, right? No, like that's disgusting. But if you scatter the salt over the food, oh man, it makes, it makes that stuffing pop, it makes that turkey, it just, you know, it, it just makes it the meal. But if you don't have salt, then something's missing, okay? So we as the people of God, we gather um, on, on Sunday mornings, we gather in our life groups on Wednesdays, and it's important to gather. I'll talk about that in a second. But if all we do is gather and huddle and be separate, then we're not living out the call to be a holy nation because we're also scattered like salt throughout different places of the world um, where, we're, where we are preserving, we're adding, we are bringing that, holy, uh, that holiness, we're bringing that whole love, whole justice, whole kindness that is representation of Jesus in the different parts of the world and different parts of society. Does that make sense? Okay, and so, but when we do gather everyone together, there's something special that happens when the people of God gather. There's some, I don't know about you, but I get excited not just about, um, about whoever's preaching or whatever, whatever sermon or whatever. I, I get excited about the whole experience from going to the parking lot to meeting people, to worshiping, like, man, God's showing up in this place. I love it. And what he says is you're, you're supposed to be like a light, like a city on a hill. And so when we gather all together, whether it's life group or here or, or other places, that, that we're like a light to the world, okay? So these are two ways that we are a holy nation is when we do that. And we also, we're a nation, but we're, you know, you notice we don't have American flags hung up around here. Okay, because we are a nation within a nation, and we're a nation composed of all different types of nations from all over the world. Okay, um, and and, uh, and I, I'm very proud of to be an American, um, where at least I know I'm free. And <laughs> you were all thinking it, so I just said it. Um, but I am. I'm really. I, I'm thankful for where I am. And but that comes secondary to my citizenship. Um, in heaven, that comes secondary to, uh, and, and that's it's, it's even something that I joke about with my friends when I first got involved with Antioch in college. I was like, man, why does everyone have a map on their wall? Like, there's like globes everywhere, and uh, you know this thing called World Mandate. There was like, you know, who wants Uzbekistan? Who, you know, who calling out all these nations I've never heard from? Um, and I was like, this is interesting. I was like, it's a very global perspective, you know. Uh, it was very new to me, uh, but it's rooted in this truth that we are, we are not just one holy nation, but made up of all different types of nations, and that, that, that's, that's part of God's heart, that we would be a new race, a new people made up of all different types of, of nations and backgrounds. All right, so we're going to pick it up on, 
on the next one, the people for his own possession, um, I'm just going to touch on this quickly because this is the last part. Um, but what it brings up is, is the story of Hosea. And so it has remnants of the story of Hosea in the Old Testament. Now, Hosea was a prophet, and Hosea was called by God to go and marry a prostitute. Uh, and, and Hosea was like, what? And he was like, yeah, go do it. And, um, and this is going to be a representation of my relationship with Israel. So sure enough, he obeys. He goes and marries a woman named Gomer, okay? And Gomer, poor Gomer, uh, Gomer comes and, and is faithful to him for a couple of years and then goes back to her wayward ways and goes back to her other lovers, okay? And it says, metaphorically, the children that she has, uh, their names mean not my people. Uh, names mean uh, show no, no mercy, okay? And then um, in the story, God has, after she runs away again, um, he commands Hosea, okay, I want you to go and I want you to find her one more time. I want you to go find her again. And I was thinking about this, that this type of pursuit that God gives to us, I was thinking about putting a wedding picture up um, to represent it, but uh, it, it doesn't fit because wedding, um, the, the best part of every wedding um, is when whether it's, it's the bride reveal of some kind, right? It's like the doors open, and it's always like, man, this is like an amazing moment. There's never a moment where the bride, like, open up, and, and you're, the bride comes, and you're like, oh, man, that's, you know, <laughs> ugh, you know? Like, that never happens. <laughs> that never happens because it's like, man, she's beautiful and, and at her best, and it's like this amazing moment. It's not this like, oh, you know, all right. That's never the case. I, I'm so, I, you can come talk to me, and, but that's never the case. Never the case. They're always like this beautiful moment, but this isn't a picture. Like I put up instead a picture of a broken jar um, because really like what this picture represents is he chooses us like when we were at our worst, okay? So it's not when we're at our best, but it's when Gomer was uh, betrayed him and was like, it, that that's when he said, I want you to go. And this and I, and, it, and then the names of the children changed to not no mercy, but I've shown mercy. Uh, not that you are not my people, but you are my people, okay? So that's a picture of who we are, and that's a picture of the gospel again. That's who God is. Um, he doesn't, uh, he comes and finds us when we're at our worst. When we're at our worst, he gives his best, okay? Um, all right, so, Whew. All right, that was, that was a lot of facets on identity, so we're going to keep moving on. So what, what's our purpose? Okay, so back to the phone conversation. What's what that I have with my parents? What's our purpose? In verse 9, we'll see our purpose again if we put it up on the screen. But you are a chosen race, race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So why did he do all this? That we may proclaim his excellencies who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so what does it mean to proclaim his excellencies? Does that mean that we sing all the time? Like he's done this so that we can just use words and sing? What, to proclaim means with our entire lives. Uh, like our, our whole lives are our living sacrifices. And we proclaim his excellencies I don't know about you, but this is like one of those like rallying cries that sometimes my heart just is not, 
it's, it's not in. I'm like, yeah, you're awesome. Okay. You know, like how it's kind of like if you, if you got up this morning, your car had trouble starting. Okay. It takes a little while to get the ignition going when it's on a cold start. So it's like, you know, want to turn it over a bit. So there's times where it's like, I need to be reminded of what his excellencies are. I need to be reminded of, of where I was. Um, and, and so here's two ways that I want to encourage you guys to, to turn that key over when you have that cold start on your heart. Two ways is, one, that you would reflect on your own story. You know, what's, what's your story? And maybe not even reflect on, you know, the big story, but just, hey, God, what have you done lately that I haven't recognized? So my wife and I, we like to try to do a marriage retreat two times a year. Um, just to, we usually, what our goal is, is that we would plan um, for the next six months ahead so we can like get stuff done. But before we do that, we take a time to look back and just say, God, what have you done in our lives? And usually what ends up happening is we just end up in tears crying at all the different things that we had missed that God had done for us. Answered prayers, um, just like his presence, like people that he's put in our lives. Um, And even like things like just what he's accomplished on the cross. Just like, man, God, you have been so good to us, and I've been so focused on what I don't have. Um, it's just good to reflect back and think about those things. And the other thing that I've found to be the great key um, to turn over my heart is to reflect on the cross, okay? Um, when we reflect on the cross, we get to see what God has accomplished on our behalf and just where we were in darkness to what Christ has done to then now what, is, what does light mean? And so I just have a few examples up here that I wrote down of when we were in darkness, what Christ did, and now what we're in light. And so I'll just go down one column at a time. So we were condemned. We were enemies of God. We were spiritually dead, slaves to sin. We were lost and lonely. We were under God's wrath. That's where we were before, <laughs> before Jesus came. And then when he lived his ministry and he went on the cross, this is what he paid for. This is what he accomplished that Jesus paid our price, that Christ reconciled us to God, that God regenerates us by the Holy Spirit, that on the cross, Jesus defeated sin, death, and Satan, that he was a shepherd that pursued us. He atones for past, present, and future sins. And so here we go. So here's the light that we've, that we've been called into, church, that we were condemned, but he's paid our price, so we've been redeemed, so we belong to him. We don't belong to under the, under the sentence of condemnation. There's no condemnation in Christ. We've been forgiven and made friends with God. So we were enemies, but Christ has reconciled us. We've been born again to a living hope that there's something inside of us that we can't will or, 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 or do, but God does, and he regenerates us and he makes us born again. And that we are also free to live as we were made to live. We don't have to fear our sinful nature or, or death um, or, or, or Satan, because he's defeated all of them on the cross. And that we get to live free. It was for freedom that he set us free. And freedom is only found in him, okay? And so we're adopted children that he came and pursued us. He's the good shepherd that laid down his life and came and found me and adopted us into our forever family. That we will live forever with God. That we weren't under, we're not under his wrath anymore, but he's atoned for our past, present, and future sins. So as you go through these things, your heart begins to be stirred and begins like, these are the excellencies of him. 
and what he's done for us. And this is what we're called to do. So whether we do this at, uh, at work for full-time you know, ministry, whether you get a check that has a ministry name on it or not, like that, is, that does not have anything to do with what we're called to. You might proclaim his excellencies at business and uh, in the medical field and whatever field you're in, whatever sphere of society, you proclaim his, his, his excellencies. Um, yeah, so those are two ways. Uh, that we can reflect on it. But then what I love as we close on this last, last point, um, that God knows that this is not easy. Okay, so imagine if I was on the phone with my parents and uh, my mom was like, uh, or my, and my mom and my dad were like, okay, son, you're a Polino. You'll figure this out. Um, here, you know, here's, a, here's kind of a big picture perspective. You probably won't do what you end up doing anyway. So, you know, whatever you major in. And so, you know, just go ahead and, and move on. Like, that's not helpful because they're not having any compassion or empathy with my plight, okay? It would also be um, a little bit, uh, it would be a little bit weird if they were like, okay, your purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of our family and what we've done. I want you to go make me proud. That would be weird. But with God, actually, uh, whenever, this is actually not for his benefit because he doesn't need this. It's for our benefit, and so whenever we're proclaiming him, we're actually living in like the center of joy that we were made to live in, okay? So, but he knows that this is hard. And how do we know this? This is why I love the word. Because the next word in the, in this, in the passage um, sets the tone for the instruction. It's a loving instruction. So here we go. God gives loving instruction in verse 11. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. To which, war, to which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay, so what I love about this is that there's, there's compassion here. So <laughs> this is good news because I don't know about you, but I would rather be farther along in my sanctification than I am right now, okay? I think we probably, all, all of us would say that and realize that the process of, of being changed is a little bit slower than we would like, all right? It's a little bit less of a highway and more of like a dirt path through valleys and, and, and dangerous places, okay? And so it's kind of like the slow growth, but he's encouraged, he's like, I know. I know, beloved, I know that you are sojourners and exiles. And so if my parents were like, you know what, why don't you just come home? Why don't you just come home and, and it'll be okay? Like, that would not have helped me. And so in the same way, God's saying, there's a purpose for you here. You're going to be a sojourner. You're going to be an exile. You're, you're not home yet, but there's a purpose that I have for you here. And I also understand that there, this is a difficult decision. This is a difficult thing to do because you have what? You have temptations. There are things that actually war within your soul. You, you, have, you have desires that can be deceitful, like it says in Ephesians 4.22, that, that we have sin, like sinful desires are deceitful. So they make us think that something's good, but then it's not, okay? So he understands that. And he also understands that there's gonna be people that are gonna be against us. There's gonna be people that will uh, be, criticize us because of what we believe. Um, and, and so he understands that there is opposition and there is compassion and there's love here. Um, but there's also this loving instruction. So it doesn't just leave us in that place like, yeah, I know it's hard. But he also says, here's some instruction. I want to warn you, and I want to say, I want you to abstain from passions of the flesh. Now, how do we abstain from passions of the flesh? We stir up our affections for the things that give us the most joy. 
okay? So in thinking about this holiday season, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to stir up your affections for something. What's one way that your affections for Christ and for what he's done are stirred up? Because that's going to give you the most joy. And then what are things that might just be neutral but would rob you of that joy, these passions of the flesh, okay? So for me, one of the things that really stirs up my affections um, is, is getting a cup of coffee in the morning, okay? And getting that cup of coffee and just, you know, getting, getting some time with God. Maybe it's a happy cup of coffee. And, uh, and just getting time with God and just say, God, would you, would you remind me who I am? God, would you show me things in your word? And just, not, just have an extended time. I also love to go on a hike. I love to get out in nature. I love to play sports. I love to throw the ball around. Um, those things give me life. And I'm like, God, you've made these things. God, every good and perfect gift finds its source in God. It finds its source in him. And so what are some things that stir up your joy and say, God, thank you for doing this? What's one thing that you can stir up your joy in this holiday season? And what's one thing that would rob you of that joy? So like an example, I mentioned sports is something that stirs up my affections. It can also rob my affections if I'm like too into my fantasy football playoffs that I'm in right now or whatnot. And I might need to shelf that and just be like, hey guys, like I want to pursue the joy that Jesus has for me. Um, which is like, it's just, it's just simple math. Like, I would rather have more joy than less joy. And, and true joy is found in the face of Christ and not in the face of other things. And so he says, I want you to, stir, I want you to abstain from passion of the flesh. But here's some other things that I want you to do. Whenever you're criticized, I want you to do two things. I want you to act honorably, and I want you to focus on doing good deeds. Okay? So I want you, so if someone is... Uh, doesn't like what you believe because of because you believe in Jesus and they might call you different names or whatnot or criticize you or be critical of your work or or give you a hard time. Um, focus on being honorable to them and, and having an honorable spirit in their heart and act honorably in that and then focus on doing good deeds. Why? Because over time that's gonna speak a loud word to them and maybe they would also glorify God as they see your good deeds. They would they would join with you and be like, hey, I I'm kind of curious about which this God that you talk about, because I see the change. I see, I see you act differently than I treat you. I see what you're doing. Um, and so who knows what, what God has for you going into, uh, going into this Christmas, going into this New Year's. What does he have for you that he's leading you into to, to, to be a priest on behalf of your family, to, to be one who would act honorably and to do good deeds? So things to consider um, as we close. And I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And as I said before, just trusting that um, for each of us in this room, uh, that there's something that, that God has for you here. And, and just honestly, just in praying and, and preparing for this week, I was just saying, this is a word that I need. This is a word that, that I need to be reminded that, man, his grace gives guidance for me. He, he, reminds, me, he reminds us of who we are individually and collectively. He gives us a purpose, um, and then he gives us... Uh, instruction as well, loving instruction as we go. Um, so we're going to close in, in, in this way. We're going to bring a little Easter into our Christmas. And there is a, uh, there's a line in this song um, that really is almost like if I'm on the other end with my parents, like a line that just seems to be straight from the Father that always encourages me. And it says, I hear the Savior say, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. 
child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. And as soon as I say that, I just, it's just like, you're right, God, I am weak. Like, I can't, I can't do these things, but you are my strength. You are my all in all. So as we close, I just want to encourage you to respond. If I can have a few life group leaders up here available to pray, uh, you will not regret uh, getting something prayed for that you need prayed for. So have a few people up here at the front to pray. I just want to have us free to respond to what God's put on our heart as we sing. I invite you to stand as we close. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain.